good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Well, please turn together in the Word of God this morning uh, to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18, I want to turn your attention to uh, some verses here. It's, it's a well-known uh, narrative uh, dealing with the events surrounding Elijah and the prophet of God and the false prophets of Baal. Uh, the account, of course, goes right back to the uh, latter verse of chapter 16 with the announcement of Ahab as the wicked king. And uh, Ahab has no time for Elijah. He refers to him as the one that troubleth Israel in verse number 17. Well, let's read from the verse number 20. There is, again, the assembling of the prophets of Baal and the people unto Mount Carmel. So 1 Kings 18 and the verse number 20. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him, but of Baal, then follow him. And the people answered, Not a word. And then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are four hundred and fifty men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under, and I will dress the other bullock, and lay it on wood. And put no fire under. And call ye on the name of your gods. And I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves, and dress it first. For ye are many, and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. And they took the bullock, which was given them, and they dressed it, and called on the name of Baal from morning, even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them, and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is in a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awaked. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was passed and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order, and cut the bullock in pieces, and laid him on the wood, and said, Fill four barrels with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. 
And the water ran round about the altar, and he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass, at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. The issue at stake on Mount Carmel is the identity of the true God. Is the true God Jehovah or is the true God Baal? Ahab, this unfaithful king, has led the people into idolatry. And you have back in chapter 16 in the verse number 29 the account of the beginning of his reign. And the summary is in verse 30, And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. From the time of Solomon, there has been a, a gradual declension. There has been a gradual compromise of the true worship of God. But in Ahab's time, that comes to a renewed height. In verse number 32, it says, And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. So here you see that Ahab has led the people into a great idolatry. And God has brought drought in light of that idolatry. God sent a man. God sent Elijah to pronounce this drought. This chastening drought that came in the sovereignty of God for the welfare of the people. Though they would suffer hardship through the drought. The people, their desire is for rain. But their need is for true biblical reformation. And with that in mind, they are confronted by Elijah in the verse number 21. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? There's a challenge here. Is the Lord, and you'll see again in your authorized version, the word Lord in capitals, is Jehovah God? If so, follow him. But if Baal is the true God, then follow him. Uh, the issue at stake here on Mount Carmel is the identity of the one true and living God. The people are halting. The word speaks of, of limping in a state of spiritual disability. Compromise always leads to spiritual disability. They are seeking at this time to uphold to some degree the worship of Jehovah at the same time allowing Baal worship. This is a time of compromise, ecumenical compromise if you like. In light of this confrontation, the people, they have no answer to give and the people answered him not a word. Is it through shame or embarrassment, perhaps even anger, but they have nothing with which to defend themselves. Compromise cannot be excused. There is only one true and living God. And therefore, no man can serve two masters. 
If Jehovah be God, then he must be served with the whole heart. There can be no rival to Jehovah's reign in our lives. We can't. We can't allow such compromise in our own lives. I think the state of the people here in Ahab's day and Elijah's day is indeed emblematic of the state of the hearts of many in the Western church today. There is a buying of the head toward the true God, but a desire to hold other false gods alongside the true. Maybe the God of materialism or some other false God, whatever it might be, but there's a halting. And therefore the Western church is by and large in a state of spiritual disability. You can't follow Christ half measured. Such is the nature of our Savior that he demands our life, our soul, our all. And so when you come to the end of this account, you'll see in the verse number 39 that the people are convinced as to the identity of the true God. The Lord, Jehovah, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. They offer this profession of understanding regarding the nature of the true God. And what is it that convinces them? Well, you may see, you may say that they saw the power of the true God as opposed to the impotence of Baal. It is a humorous account. Elijah mocks the false prophets. Well, where is your so-called God? Is he away busy doing something else that he cannot come in answer to your cries and your prayers? There is mockery of false religion, and that is, that is entirely appropriate. It is the fool that says in his heart that there is no God, and it is the fool that says in his heart that a false God is a true God. And in light of the impotence of Baal, the power of God is clearly seen. God is the God who answers the prayer of Elijah and answers with fire. But we should not, we should not rest in the concept that they believe in the true God simply because of the miracle that they witness. God performs no miracles simply for the sake of it. And I say that with reverence. The miracles in the scriptures, they are signposts. They are miracles with messages. And God always speaks to the signs that he performs regarding his character. And yes, I believe that some of the people here, the profession they make is, is empty. They are taken up with the sign because they miss the message. Let us not be guilty of the scene of simply admiring the power of God, but miss the purpose of the miracle which God has here performed. At this time, the people are being reminded not only the power of the true God, but of the nature of the true God. They are being shown the justice and mercy of God. This event is not a display of revival. Sometimes people refer to this event as the fire falling as an emblem of revival. The fire is a descriptor of revival to some degree, if you think of the day of Pentecost and the, the fire that fell upon the apostles' heads. But the fire that falls here is, is not picturing revival. It is rather picturing Calvary. And here upon this Mount Carmel, we see 
uh, tremendously clear vision of a coming Christ who will come to die under the fire of God's wrath. So note some features that indicate this to us. Well, why would I say that? Well, well, note the stones initially. Elijah takes 12 stones, verse number 31. And we're told the very reason whereby he takes the stones. It's according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob. Those who have the name Israel shall be thy name. Those who have known the sovereign covenant grace of God. And this altar is built with these 12 stones. It is an altar for the people. We shouldn't think, of course, that this altar is the the people. That's not the point. It's not the point that Christ died, if you like, on the altar of his people. That's not it at all. It is the fact that the people are identified indissolubly with this sacrifice That the sacrifice that we're going to see very shortly is a sacrifice that is for the people. It's on on their behalf. Language that easily translates into the New Testament. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. The the little uh, Greek word that speaks of on behalf of, for them, the just, for the unjust. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So you have the stones here. You have also the fact that this event on Mount Carmel Carmel was indeed a sacrifice. Verse number 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice. Sacrifice in biblical language is something that is offered to God, particularly with respect to sin. The sacrifice in the Bible are Godward in focus. And this sacrifice has has a couple of very interesting features. Note the treatment of the sacrifice. The bullock in verse number 33 was cut in pieces. A divided sacrifice. Makes us think, as we saw on Wednesday evening, of the covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis 15. And there Abraham was to divide the animals of the sacrifice And so much that it came to pass that when they were divided and it was dark, there was a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In that day, God made a covenant with Abraham. This divided sacrifice upon which fire is going to pass is a reminder to the people of the covenant that God has made in grace. And so we are reminded of our Savior. Who is the mediator, the surety of a better covenant. Whose blood is the blood of the everlasting covenant. The treatment of the bullock is significant. The timing is also significant. You will see reference made in a number of verses to the evening sacrifice. Look at verse number 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. Over in Exodus 29 and Numbers 28, uh, there is instructions given for the offering of the sacrifice at the evening. The evening sacrifice, it was to take place every day. The timing, I believe, is emphasized because, again, it points forward to Christ. You have the account in Mark chapter 15, and Mark gives, he gives great detail regarding the times. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. The third hour, or we may say uh, around 9 a.m. 
And then later on in the account, again in Mark chapter 15, the verse number 33, and when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The third hour, crucified. The sixth hour, darkness. The ninth hour, the cry of the Son of God as he bears the sins of his people upon Calvary's tree. The ninth hour, the hour of the evening sacrifice. And so we are being led by the Old Testament to see that in these old types, there is a Christ who will come and die at the hour of the evening sacrifice. He is the one upon whom the wrath of God falls. He is the sacrifice offered to God on our behalf that we would know atonement and forgiveness of sins. So you have the stones and you have the sacrifice and then you do have the sign. Verse number 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell. Fire in the Bible uh, again has as number as a number of uh, of themes when you consider the, uh, the the nature of God. It clearly speaks of God's presence. There was the pillar of fire. Uh, there is the fire that descends as the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter two. It does speak of the Lord's presence. It speaks of the Lord's just and righteous holiness. Flaming fire. They were the swords that blocked the entrance back into the Garden of Eden. Christ will come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. Or God is a consuming fire. His presence is a holy, just and righteous presence. And this fire imagery then extends when you consider that this is not the first time the fire has fallen. You can think about the institution of the tabernacle described for us in Leviticus chapter 9. Let me read to you the words there. Leviticus 9 and the verse number 24. And there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat. Fire has fallen. It falls at the institution of the tabernacle. It falls when David offers sacrifice on Ornan's threshing floor. First Chronicles 21, the verse number 26. And David built there an altar unto the Lord. He's committed sin. He's numbered the people. He offers burnt offerings and peace offerings and called upon the Lord. And he answered him from heaven by fire. Ornan's threshing floor. That becomes the place upon which Solomon builds the temple. Second Chronicles 3 verse 1, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And what happens when the temple is instituted? Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. What are they seeing in this sign? That they're being reminded about how God's holy presence descends upon the virtue of sacrifice. And as the sacrifice is consumed, the sins are forgiven. And the people are accepted by God through sacrifice. It is no coincidence 
that when Elijah rebuilds an altar Mount Carmel and the issue at stake is who is the true God? It is no coincidence that God would descend in fire upon a sacrifice. And so you see, as we think about Calvary here, we see that the stones, they are used indicating this sacrifice for the people. The sacrifice, again, is offered to God for the people. The sign indicates God's presence comes down and consumes the sacrifice for the people. All of this coming to teach the blessed truth of substitution. The people are confronted they're halting between two opinions and they're convinced as they see the fire of God. And as they see the fire of God, they see the justice of God for sin. <coughs> the sacrifice is consumed by the fire of God's wrath. This people, for all of their idolatry and compromise, they deserve the fire of God to fall on them. That's what's being taught here. And as they see the justice of God consuming the sacrifice in a supernatural fashion, they are being told, your sin deserves the fire of God. And yet at the same time, they are being shown the mercy of God. Because the fire that descends does not descend upon them, but does descend upon the sacrifice that God has appointed is that not what we see in Calvary? Do we not see in Calvary the one true and living God? You want to know what the true God is like? You go to Calvary. Take your mind's eye towards Calvary. And there you see that as Christ dies for sin, your sin deserves the eternal wrath of God. The wrath poured out upon the Son. Your sin deserves that wrath poured out upon yourself. And yet as you take your eye to Calvary and you see the wrath of God, the justice of God, you also see the mercy of God. For if you had been at Calvary, if you had been that day, you deserved the wrath of God to fall on you, but it fell upon the Son. And as it fell upon the Son, so you have come to know atonement and forgiveness. This is the only true and living God. God of the Bible, Jehovah, the covenant-keeping God, is the only God who will accept you, hell-deserving sinner, because he accepts the sacrifice of his own dear son. There is no other message like this. Therefore, I urge you, dear child of God, do not be guilty of halting between two opinions. Ensure that when you contemplate and you survey the wondrous cross, that your response is to give your life, your soul, your all. And there are some of you, perhaps young people here, and you're wondering, oh, who is the true God? You preach with this true God, but I wonder who is this true God, I, I tell you. This is the true God. The God whose wrath burns upon you for your sin. But who for his son's sake is willing to forgive you and pardon you. May God help us all to grapple with our own unbelief. And to ensure that our understanding of the true God is of the right God. And that indeed we'd worship him right today.
Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.